Hey listeners, I'm Robbie and this is The Breakdown. Welcome to episode five. This week, I am honored to bring you my conversation with casting director Cindy Rush. Cindy has her own office, Cindy Rush Casting in New York City. Broadway credits include You're in Town, Six Dance Lessons in Six Weeks, and Say Goodnight, Gracie. Other New York credits include Home Street Home, Disenchanted, Jacques Brel, Friends, Shame of Thrones, Ruthless, among many others. Regionally, Cindy frequently casts for Triad Stage, Fifth Avenue, Hudson Stage, Penguin Rep, Pittsburgh Public Theater, Charleston Stage Company, Virginia Stage Company, Cape Fear, and the Actors Theater of Louisville Humanifest. Apart from theater, Cindy's also cast numerous well-known films including Offspring, Made for Each Other, Home Movie, Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door, Funny Valentine, Masterclass, and Headspace. Cindy has an incredible reputation and has a lot of experience in this business. She talks about how auditioning has evolved over time and explains that although technology has been helpful, we've lost the event of auditioning and how our auditions have suffered as a result. Hearing about how the audition process used to be made me reevaluate how I think about auditions today and what needs to go into every single appointment that we have. She explains that even if you're a good actor, it doesn't mean you're the right actor. And I know, it seems so simple on the surface, but it's so important to remember that even if you didn't book the job, doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You were probably great, you just weren't right. She brilliantly talks about the relationship between the casting director and the actor and explains that we can help each other by working together. And I think it's no surprise that when a casting director likes working with you, you're gonna get brought in all the time. Not only is Cindy one of my favorite casting directors to audition for, she's also a wonderful, insightful, and inspiring person with a great perspective I think everyone in this business needs to hear. So without further ado, my conversation with casting director, Cindy Rush. Cindy Rush, thank you so much for sitting down with me and doing this podcast. So much fun. Yes. We are in Pearl Studios right now, so there might be some ambient noise of um, some auditions for some, The Sound of Music, some singing. young talents. Yes. Roaming the halls. Showing their wares. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm so happy to sit down and talk to you um, specifically because... You know, I, I was speaking to Jeff Josselson, and he was speaking about uh, him getting into the business and, and finding his way into casting, and you were such a big part of that for him, and he spoke so highly of you. Um, I feel like you've been so, from what I know about you, like versatile in this business, like just doing so many different things from like films to theater and musical theater and everything like that, mm -hmm. um, and have been doing it for a while and have like a very, I would imagine, like unique perspective about um, how the business has changed and like how... Um, oh my God, the business has changed. Well, I've been casting for 25 years. Wow. So when I started, no computers, no cell phones, every third office had a fax machine. If you were fancy, there was a fax machine. Um, and every string of offices had a Xerox machine. The breakdowns had to be faxed to breakdown by 4 p.m. If you didn't get your breakdown into breakdown by 4 p.m., wow. your breakdown didn't go out the next morning. Wow. And when the breakdown went out, 
the next morning you had a stack of submissions, hard copy submissions that had to be opened, alphabetized, and put into little packets and labeled according to agency. Scripts had to be read in the casting office. So you, when you went to read a script, you'd have to sit in the waiting room or in the hallway of a casting office if they didn't have a waiting room. And you literally, there would be lines of actors and they would be sitting in the hallway and somebody would be reading the first half of the script and they would pass it down to the next person, read the second half and pass it down to the next person. Like it was just a crazy, Wow. it was a crazy time. I mean, it was, it was so much more, when you went to a studio, you had a pocket full of quarters because you had to use pay phones. If people were late, you had to call, or people in your office would maybe f fax every half hour or so and say, okay, here's a list of people who are passing or people who are gonna be late. Uh -huh. So you never really knew there wasn't this constant flow of information the way there is in, yes. in auditions now. So if somebody's running late, you can shoot an email Mm -hmm. and say, where is that person? Then you get an email back, oh, they're on their way, the trains are late, mm -hmm. and you can tell your team, okay, they're on their way, and we can just move on, as opposed to, let me stop the session, <laughs> pull out a quarter, and go to the payphone. <laughs> so it seems like everything is just happening so much faster now. Everything's faster. Everything's, I think, easier mm -hmm. on a lot of levels. Um, Communication just between everybody probably is, is better. It is. Um, I think it's a blessing and a curse on some levels. I think we've lost the event of auditioning. Not that I want to make auditioning an event because I feel like when actors make it into an event, they freak themselves out and they overthink it. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to say event too much. Um, but there was a definite process preparing for the audition on mm -hmm. the business side that does not exist now. Because back in the day, you would get that phone call saying you have an audition. You know, it's a new play. The script is at Cindy Rush Casting. They would walk over to Cindy Rush Casting. They would sit there. They would read the script. Then they would go to their agent's office, pick up the sides, because the sides were all faxed or hard copies. No, right. No emails. Uh -huh. And then they'd have to physically go to the audition, you know, a week later, how many days later. And I think what it did was, as you went from point A to point B from the subway or your home to the subway to the casting office, you had the breakdown with the information you were looking at that. As you went from the casting office to your agent's office to pick up the sides, you were thinking about the script you had just read. And then when you get to the audition, it's more in your body. Mm -hmm. The way it is, as opposed to now, where everything's in a Dropbox, yeah. and you can click and point, and you know, you're know you reading, but I don't know. I feel like on some levels we get so many emails that we don't necessarily process. Yeah, and when you're reading something either on your phone quickly or you're reading sides on a computer, it's just different. It's just completely different. Mm -hmm. It's a different way of preparing, and I think we've lost that, mm -hmm. and I find that the actors who go back to that old school way of preparing actually do better in the room. Yeah. Because they're more in their bodies. They're more present in in the actual project. Yeah. So why, we're, why you say that right now, one of the questions that I like to ask is being prepared in the room. Like that can mean like a lot of different things, right? Mm -hmm. But something that comes up for me or people that are always asking is, do you like actors to be memorized for like that first audition or no or? no i don't think um i think for on camera uh -huh. you need to be memorized 
simply because your audience is that tiny box, mm -hmm. which is the video camera. And so if you are looking down too much, then the whole audition becomes the top of your head. That's right. all we see. Uh -huh. With theater, we're seeing your whole body and we're seeing you in a space and we're seeing you move around. Yeah. So you don't have to be memorized. You also more than likely have a team behind the table who is going to give you adjustments and the first thing to go, well, the first thing to go is the accent, the second thing to go are the lines. Right. So if you don't have <laughs> the sides, you're stuck. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that directors get a little nervous when people come in mem memorized. Interesting. Um, unless, quite frankly, they're older actors uh -huh. because they want to see memorizing because they want to see if there's any line issues. Right. I imagine that's important. Yeah. Or younger. Like, uh -huh. much younger, like six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. Right. You know, if they're memorized and can take adjustments and stay memorized and stay in it, mm -hmm. then it's a good thing. But for everybody else, I, I don't think you need to be memorized. I think you need to be as comfortable as possible that you don't need to be on the page. Right. But you need to be holding sides. Cool. And they need to be paper sides and not... I don't allow electronics in the room. Yeah. That <laughs> makes sense. So old school. No electronics in the room. I make you carry pictures and resumes. Yeah. Like, it's just... I'm a pain in the neck when it comes to that stuff. But I do think it's your job. Yes. I think it's your job. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think it's distracting to have to have to be working off a Kindle. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and for newer actors, I think that there's a sense of... Um, comfort for directors if they see that a newer actor is walking in with physical sides that they've made notes on, mm -hmm. which means that they have a process. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the director's not going to go, I, I just don't know, they're brand new, what if I put them in with a, a, a an entire cast of old pros, are they going to be able to hold themselves up? Yes. Or are they going to drag everybody down? Uh -huh. But if they've got a process, there's a level of comfort there. Yep. And ostensibly, if you've written those notes and you've taken the time with the piece, like we were saying before, it's going to be just in your body more. It's going to be yeah. probably lived in. And yeah. and then the nerves probably aren't going to be, you know, as... Well, obvious. the nerves are going to be the nerves, you yeah. know? I mean, the nerves happen. They happen to people that you... People you know for a million years walk in and they're nervous. People mm -hmm. that have Tony Awards, they get nervous. It's just a sometimes just a physical reaction. Yeah. Um, but I think if you know what you do when you get nervous, you can work against it. Right. If you know what your knee jerk is, then you work against it. Yes. You know, or you Good use to it to your advantage. Right. You Being know? aware of it. You have to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. You have to be aware of what you do. So I want to back up a little bit because okay. I want to hear about how you are here today and how you um, have your own office in New York. I think that's an, an incredible, um, an incredible thing. I just want to know, like, were you a performer when you were younger? Mm -hmm. Were you, um, and then how you found that casting was a profession, and maybe like, then how you uh, moved to make that a career. Um, I started as an actor in the theater when I was eight. Okay. In New York. You were a child up. actor? I was a child actor. I grew okay. up, I went to a place called Stage Door Manor. Yep, yep. Everybody knows Stage Door Manor. Um, and then I went to NYU for drama. Okay. And then I burnt out, and I left it for a bit, and I traded commodities, um, and I worked for the... Ja <laughs> My friends love this story. My, I worked for the Japanese trading commodities. I was the only American woman in an all-Japanese firm. I was really good with languages, because I, I had sung from the time I was very young, so I knew, I'd sung in so many languages, so really good with languages. Uh -huh. So um, I was conversational in Japanese, 
Um, so I worked for them for a bit, and then I got pulled in. You were in. conversational in Japanese. Yeah. Um, and then I worked. For, I was pulled in by a Belgian firm, um, and I did import and export of raw materials for them. Wow. Um, Talk about a total one eighty. It was a total one eighty, but it was it was like a game. Yes. It wasn't. It was like putting on a costume every day. Like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, I'm going to go put on a suit. Right. No, so not me. Um, and then the recession happened, and I didn't have seniority, so I got downsized. Mm-hmm. And I had moved back home because my dad had passed away, and my mother said, "This just isn't you." <laughs> she was like, "This is. Are you are you really going to do this? Are you going to?" really look for another job doing the thing. And um, so I said, you know what? Maybe I'll go back into the industry. I don't want to perform, mm-hmm. but I could do something. Right. So I got out the Ross reports. Yep. I don't know if you remember the Ross reports. I, I know what the Ross reports are, but could you just uh, The Ross reports were a listing of agents and casting people and managers in New York. and Well, actually, every city. They were New York and L.A. and Atlanta and Chicago and... Um, Canada, I believe, and they had a listing with addresses and phone numbers and and who was who and and actors who were coming to New York would do a general mailing and use the Ross reports. Uh-huh. That's all I knew. So I did a general mailing of my resume with the Ross reports. Uh, I met with an agency and. And what was your like? What was the cover letter? The cover I letter mean, was, was it- just I have had been in the entertainment industry for a long time. I have a degree in uh-huh. theater. Um, I have a really good head for business. Uh-huh. and no longer want to pursue business. I want to get back into the industry. Yeah. Um, and I just would like a chance. To like work work as an agent or work as a casting director? Is Was that what you were asking mm-hmm. for? Okay, cool. Is that not good? No, no, no. It's totally fine. Is it? You're okay. good. You're good. Um, so, yeah. It was just... Uh, just meet me. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> it was being like being an actor. Yes. Just meet me. Yes. So I met with one agency that was like a huge agency. Not a huge agency, but like top agency uh-huh. in New York. Um, and it's funny because the agent has now left, but she's a really high-powered manager. And we still laugh because she didn't hire me because she said I was too corporate. And then she tried to get me back like six months later. She kept trying to hire me. And she was like, I made a mistake. I'm like, no, it's too late. I've gone into casting. And so I didn't get that job, but I sent a letter out to a casting office called the Baldo Richin, which is no longer around. Mm-hmm. The cover letter and the resume sat on Laura Richin's desk until the day the assistant gave her notice, and she picked up a piece of paper, and my cover letter and resume was sitting there. And they called me, and I went in the next day. It's like on a Thursday, and I think I started on Monday uh, for two hundred dollars a week or hundred and fifty dollars a week probably two hundred dollars a week no benefits you know um and i followed joe baldo um passed away three months after i went to work there he had aids it was like we were in the midst i mean this was 1980 so we were really in the midst of the aids crisis at that point joe passed away three months later um, but, and w- I didn't know he was sick when they hired me. Uh-huh. He just, they had decided they weren't going to tell me. And then Laura went out for lunch one day and he just told me he was sick. And when Laura came back, he's like, oh, I told Cindy. And I thought Laura was going to kill him. She was like, what? But, um, I followed Joe around mm-hmm. with a, a legal pad 
for two months, basically. Uh, he, they had a lot of regional theaters. They were supposed to be the original casting directors for the Broadway version of The Life. They were workshopping oh, wow. that. And they had a little tiny office at the Hausman Theater, which was a theater center that no longer exists. And I learned how to set up actors. I learned how to read resumes. I learned He would quiz me on, okay, so pick out resumes of people that you think should get appointments, and then mm-hmm. you, you tell me why. Um, and so we would discuss all of that. Uh-huh. And then when we were in auditions, he would have me checking people in, and he'd say, you always have to do your own check-in, and you always have to stay on time, and you always have to tell people when they're on deck, and you always have to, like, he gave me a list of things that you always did to create a good environment for the actor. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've carried that. Um, yes. Because that's so smart. I mean, if it's a good environment for the actor, the actor is Everybody's going to do well. Right. Right. Because nobody that, ever succeeded in a bad environment. Yes. And then that makes I mean, the casting director look great in front of, yeah, you know, everybody yeah. else. So, interesting. That's great. So then Joe passed away. Laura went through a rough time. I ended up going to Michelle Ortlip's office, who then partnered with Alan Filderman. And I stayed there for two years. And at this point, when you were at the first office, did you know right away you were, like, casting is where, like, yeah, I Yeah, I, I kind of felt like home. Uh-huh. It just felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. You know, and then I had Meg kind of going, do you want to come back and work for me? And I was like, as an agent, and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do that. Right. That's not what I... I'm better in the room mm-hmm. than I am with... Con- like, I'm good with contracts, mm-hmm. but I'm better in the room. I'm yes. better building stuff. Well, and coming as an actor, you already kind of knew that relationship yeah. in the room. Yeah. and And what that's like. Right. And how to counteract what that's like. Uh-huh. You know, um, so I went over to Michelle Ortlip and Alan Filderman's. Yes, I know Alan. Yes, he's wonderful. <laughs> we, I, yeah, Alan's great. I mean, those days when you did regional theater at the end of the season, they would just say, okay, so your time is up. Come back in September. And so you'd go on a hiatus. And mm-hmm. so I spent that time doing kid searches for HBO with a, under another casting director. So I learned the TV and film side of it. I was kind of always doing something. Yep. I had a temp job at Columbia Artist Management where I was working under one of the top agents for the ABT dancers. Oh, wow. Um, just to see what that world was like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went from Michelle and Alan's office to Jay Bender. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, and then whatever I learned with Joe and, and and learned also with Michelle and Alan, everything kind of got really crystallized at Jay's office. Uh-huh. I spent a lot of time with Jay. Yes. Um, bless his heart. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a lot, but we had a great time. Yes. Um, we worked hand in hand on just about everything together. Mm-hmm. And I learned about building the entire cast. I learned about not plugging in just one actor because they're great. You have to make sure the energy is right. I learned about, you know, really talking to directors and really kind of focusing in on what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did that, but I was also hired to do pilot season for him. So I did pilot season for Warner Brothers there. I did very well with pilot season. So that kind of solidified my TV, which I was able to parlay into film when I moved 
over, I went over to Pat McCorkle's office. Yes. Worked in six offices before. Wow. I, I just kind of moved, I just kept moving. And then I went back to Jay's. I was at Pat's for a year and a half, and then I went back to Jay's. We set up my office out of his office. Oh, okay. There was a laundry list of things that had to be done, and then we called everybody we knew who wasn't one of Jay's clients and said, Cindy's going out on her own, you should hire her. Uh-huh. And then when I got done with his laundry list, the list was like, you know, dancers for the Music Man and the play Wrong Mountain and things like that. Then I branched out, and that was 18 years ago. It'll be 19, in Cindy Rush Casting will be 19 in June. Wow. Yeah. And when you started doing like the television and film, was there one thing that you liked more than the other? Um, um, pilot season is fun. I don't ever see myself doing a series because it would take me out of theater. Yes. But pilots are like being a kid in a candy store because they're all of these actors that you don't necessarily see on a regional level mm -hmm. because they're working so much on Broadway. Right. And you get a chance to kind of really bring them in, especially if they're actors that you knew from their regional days that you have lost touch with and you bring them back in. And you're like, you know what? It's so great to see you. And I'm... Now we can move you to the next level, hopefully, and we can right. do that. So that's a lot of fun. I love working on my film stuff, but the film guys I work with have only ever worked with me. Mm -hmm. So my process is their process. So I have a movie that's going into festivals next season. It's in screenings now, and three times in with this director and he works his auditions like a theater director. He's there, he barely looks at the camera, he never looks behind the camera, he gives adjustments to the actors, he works with them one-on-one, -on -one, and the actors are blown away by it mm -hmm. because they come in expecting a film audition where they're gonna sit in a chair. Yep. And he's like, no, I don't want that. I wanna see how the scene's gonna work. And they're like, what? So I love working that way. Yes. But a series, I think anything that would take me out of theater would make me unhappy. Right. Because that's, that's where my roots are. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and it's great that you get to do both. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure both also like feeds each other. Like, oh, you're, absolutely. You're learning back and forth absolutely. and doing things. And... I always say it's, I, I do the weirdest, I do not have a niche mm -hmm. um, for better or for worse. I don't know if that's good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, but it's literally 18 years of me going, yeah, sure, I'll do it. How hard could it be? Right. Like, at one point, I was doing a live-action dinosaur non-union tour, and we had to do our callbacks in a warehouse in Brooklyn with no windows, and we had this T-Rex that was nine feet tall, and the actors were climbing into the T-Rex and, and using it and screaming into a video box that would generate their voices in a different... Like, it was... <laughs> like... Yeah, I can do All that. All different. How hard could that be? Yeah. Who doesn't want to be that? Right. <laughs> In Brooklyn with no windows. In Brooklyn, well, it was cold. <laughs> it was cold. But, you know, I mean, but the actors were game. I yes. mean, I feel like if the actors are game, I'm game. Mm -hmm. And even if they're not, I kind of feel like we can all make it work. Mm -hmm. Totally. So. so I am interested in... Just chatting about the TV side of things, um, I guess maybe first, um, because a lot of actors sometimes, with equity, there's an EPA you can go to, like there are open calls. So when you say it's a, uh, say it's a pilot, I know every pilot is really gonna be different in like where you find the people, but um, you know, when you have those first conversations with the director or the producers for a pilot, um, and you're talking about with the characters, and then we get down to the breakdowns. Do Does the casting director usually write the breakdowns or does the director 
uh, write, you know, those individual character breakdowns? Um, I try and always make the director write the breakdowns. A lot of the directors are not trained to write the breakdowns. It's just the casting directors usually do it. Right. So if I feel like they're not going to write the breakdown, at least a conversation of give me qualities. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me... My biggest thing with directors is don't tell me who the characters are, not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because to me, character breakdowns that are storyline don't help. Yeah, because it's in the play. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, in, it's the, in the movie. I, yes. don't, I need to know who they are, not what they do. Right. That's basically it. Who they are, not what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think breakdowns can be so important. And as an actor, I'm learning to really pay attention to them more and more. Yes, because the, they are. there are so many clues in there. You know, it's almost direction before you get in the room to, you know, to see a director sometimes. Right, because I think you can also tell the world of the piece mm-hmm. by the breakdown. Right. And I think people scan them and don't really process. Again, they scan, they don't really process. Right. And I think that, you know, if they're in there, I mean, sometimes sometimes a pen is just a pen. You know, it's that thing of, I think a lot of actors come in and they're like, well, what do they mean by that? Well, that's what the breakdown says. Right. Like, that's all we mean by that. Like, mm-hmm. stay with what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try and overthink it. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to start tripping up. Good to know. Well, it's true. So then how do you go about coming up with a list of, you know, say you're going to bring in 20 people or something to, for, you know, for one role in a pilot? You submit the breakdown. I mean, and then just go from there. Like, are there specific agencies that you, you just know that you like their aesthetic? Or do you get, like, how much do you pay attention to, like, pushes? If, like, an agent is like, I really think you should meet this person for this role? Or, you know, is it a lot of people that you also know probably previously or, or have, like, worked in before. I'm just curious how the how I you think it's of... it depends on the project. I mm-hmm. really do. I think it depends on the project. I've had um, I had a lot of success with this pilot a number of years ago. So the the hard part with pilots is because I'm not really in the pilot game these days because mm-hmm. everything is not it's not really farmed out that much anymore. Right. It's very, very close circle. But I do have camps of producers that I use and they like me because they'll start with you know, somebody who only knows the same six people and they'll call me and go, okay, who have you got? And I'll start pulling people from lists all over the place. Mm -hmm. People that I know from Broadway shows, people that I know from the movies that I work on, people that I know from regional, people that I know, and and kind of pull that together. And they're not necessarily those same people who are going in for pilots all the time. Uh So I think it just depends on the project. Right. Um, that makes sense. How much time you have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just don't have that much time. Sometimes they need you to get a tape, you know, right away, and you've got five slots, and you go, okay, well, I have to bring in five people that I know are going to nail it on uh-huh. some level. And then those are those five choices. And yeah. then the director can make the choice of what he wants. And if he wants to expand it, then I can have that expanded backup list. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you don't have a lot of time. The other side of it is, I don't really pre-screen. I don't mm-hmm. scratch tapes. So if somebody comes in, it's two minutes out of my time. So I don't have a, if I have the time, I'll, I'll make the time for people and just go, I don't know, let's see. If somebody feels strongly about, like if an agent feels strongly about a push, 
I'll get on the phone with them and talk to them. And if, and if I don't feel like, look, it's just not going to happen. I feel like I have the right to say that. Mm-hmm. Just like I have the right if somebody says, well, they're off or only, if an actor's off or only and they won't audition. Okay, well, I've never seen them do anything like this. So inform me so that I can go back to my client with an informed conversation of why this person feels that they should get an offer. Mm-hmm. You know, is it just because of their body of work or because of a specific body of work? You know, right. things like that. I think that conversation is really important. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. So it's mostly people that you know and that you've seen before because you don't do pre-screens, really, that you... That you right, but I'll take a work. chance on people. I don't, right. I don't have a problem taking a chance on people. Uh-huh. You know, I read resumes. Right. If somebody's trained, I'm going to... Assume that they know their way around, uh-huh. you know, a stage, or if they know their way around a stage, or they've got a body of credits. I don't have a problem bringing them in for film. Mm-hmm. What about a reel? Like, is that super important for people to have? I don't watch them. I know a Good lot know. of people do. I don't watch them. I don't understand slate shots. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to assume you can talk. Well, that's good to know. I feel like a lot of people think, oh, I have to have something, you know. And I'm sure it's different for every casting director, but that's why it's so great to be talking yeah, to Yeah, and it people. is. It's totally different. If you work totally, t- and I think it, it depends on your training. Mm-hmm. I think if you're trained on camera, TV, and film trained for casting, it's a very different world. Mm-hmm. Because you're trained with that camera. You're right. trained to look at the videos. But when you're theater trained, you're trained to look at the person. Mm-hmm. So you just... You, I think you gravitate towards the resume. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think every actor should have a website. Yes. I think that's a big, big thing right now. What do you need to be on a website for an actor? It needs to be easy. Don't make it difficult to find you. Don't make it difficult to find your work. Don't make it difficult. And it, it needs... There's too many of you. Yeah. So... On a website, it should be very user-friendly mm-hmm. with just, you know, here's here's what's going on now, here's my press quotes, here's my resume, here's my contact information. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing worse than when you click contact and there's a little form that you have to fill out that says, what is your email? What is the nature of you getting in touch with me? If it's right. five steps for me to bring you into audition, guess what? I'm going to go with the actor uh-huh. where it takes two steps to get you in. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have, obviously, an actor, if they have representation, is going to have their agent info, but it's important also just to have their direct email yeah. as well. Because you don't know if it's after hours. or I mean, with now with email, there's no real after hours. Mm-hmm. There's no hours. We're just always on. But there's certain times where... I have a project that's rehearsing on Thursday, and they just lost somebody. So there was a quick scramble yesterday we need to find, and there was a delay with getting the agents, finding the actress, and I know she's on her email. Mm-hmm. So the minute that they CC'd her on the email, she came back like that. Right. And she's like, I'm not available, but you can call me here, call this person, da 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 you know, And now I keep her email so that if I do need her, I have it. Yes. It's not stepping around the agents. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a firm believer in that. And I, and I don't think that actors should do that. I think if you have an agent, you need to be up front. I think that if you see a project on the breakdowns, which you're not supposed to get, but everybody knows you get, because um, <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes. Right. If you have an agent, don't submit yourself unless you know it's a project that your agent's not going to work on, like a reading or, or a nymph show or, or something that is not going to be financially worth their while perhaps uh-huh. or they're too busy call them and say I'm going to I want to be submitted 
for this if they say I'm not going to, then you submit yourself. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing more annoying than having to go through 600 pictures and resumes. And there's triples. There's people who are submitting themselves, and then they have an agent. The agent submitting them. The manager submitting them. Like yes, you need to get it together. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> totally. Everyone's got to be on the same page, um, because I think when you have an agent, we need to know you have an agent. Right. And even if you're a request, because we knew you. Mm-hmm you're still going to be booked through that agent. Right, and that's what your contract is going to be and going that's, through. And yes, and that's what your contract should be going through. And if you have hesitations about your agent, then you shouldn't have that agent. Right. But the process is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. So about, and let's flip to like regional theater, because with regional theater, there are um, required EPAs or mm-hmm. open calls. And there's such a stigma about EPAs is, is, you know, people don't get cast from EPAs, or that's something that I hear from actors. I'm assuming the answer is yes, but do you bring people in from, from the EPAs? Absolutely. And Absolutely. What, when you see so many people in a day, what are, what are the things that make someone stand out or like make someone that you feel confident that you're going to bring them in, you know, into the team? I think somebody who's informed, I'm doing an EPA, I'm doing a group EPA tomorrow uh-huh. for NIMF, which means I think it's five shows, one EPA. Mm-hmm. So... Really, somebody should be looking at it and going, I'm right for number one, number three, number five. And then <clears throat> looking at the material that's asked of them for each show and finding a middle ground. Mm-hmm. And coming in and maybe putting on their picture, I'm, I'm interested in this show, this show, and this show. So that they are providing us with a box to put them in. Mm-hmm. I think that's really smart. Um, I think... You always have to be aware. You have to be aware of what is your age range? What is your type? What can you sing? What can you not sing? Are you funny? Are you not funny? Like you need to know what you do and who you are as a performer. Mm -hmm. This way when you go into an EPA, you put your best foot forward. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as not casting from EPAs, I think... To say this out loud, but I'm gonna do it anyway. So what the hell? Oh, I think that good. there are old school casting directors and new school casting directors, and I think the old because I was trained old school. I don't know that I consider myself old school. I guess I am. Um, <laughs> that would make me old. Um, <laughs> You're not old. I'm not old. Um, we really go to the EPAs looking for people. Yes. And I think the new school people do not. So I think you need to be in there, regardless of who is in the room. You need mm-hmm. to go in and you need to try. I, I know we did a production of Fantastics for Pittsburgh Public, uh, I guess it was a year and a half or two years ago, and out of our five principals, three came out of the EPA process. Wow. So, uh, actually two out of the EPA and one out of a self-submit. It and works. And that self-submit, I ended up hiring them three times after Fantastics. Wow. And, and... The EPA girl ended up doing the lead-in forum the following year. Wow. So you don't know. I think it's very easy to get caught up in, oh, it's not this. This is never going to happen. This isn't going to happen. That's not, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the naysaying. I think you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you need to be in there. Mm-hmm. But you need to be informed. You need to be smart. Now, say that you're an actor that is interested in doing a show that you're casting and you think that you're really right for it and you have an agent who you know is going to submit you for the project Mm -hmm. 
but you really want to make sure you get that audition. Some actors are like, I know my, my agent is going to submit me, but maybe I'm just also going to go to the EPA. You know, and I just wonder about like... That's fine. Is that... Yeah, that's fine. I've had actors email me. I mean, I don't know that I'm a huge fan of that, mm-hmm. but I have had actors who will email me and go, hey, Cindy, just a heads up, I'd really love to do this. And you never know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, great, then I'll bring you in. Um, you know, you want to be productive. You mm-hmm. don't want to be intrusive. Right. No, I think there's a line. Yes, definitely. I think if you have to ask yourself if this is this too intrusive, it probably is. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if you feel like your agent's not pushing you enough, it's a bigger then that's issue. that's a different conversation. Yeah. Feedback is something that I, I wonder about and I think about, and I just wonder what your thoughts are about when is it appropriate to ask your agent to then ask the casting director for feedback or you know if you are a self-submit when is it appropriate like usually I think the guidelines are like for a callback or something um, yeah you know it, that's I think more if you get down to the wire mm-hmm. um, you had gotten down to the wire recently on something and I think Chris asked me for feedback and we kind of okay. talked about it yeah, yeah 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 you know and sometimes it's important mm-hmm. feedback because sometimes it's this is a, this keeps happening in the room uh-huh. and you need to discuss this with your actor. Like right. this needs to happen. This mm-hmm. needs to not happen or this needs to be changed or perhaps your actor's not aware of it. Mm-hmm. So I think feedback is important. It's you know, it's it's hard if you're in the middle of 12 different projects and somebody's pushing you for feedback and you're like, "You know what? I just need a day." Right. Just give me a day. Uh-huh. And just let me, you know, I mean, I've had people ask me for feedback an hour after their actor came in. I'm like, I, I don't, I have no idea where we're at right now because I got ten other guys to see. Mm-hmm. Just be patient. Well, are they getting it, a call? But I have no idea if they're getting a call back. Right. They're a lovely person. Mm-hmm. That's my feedback. I guess that is sometimes the only feedback is like, they were great. It just went a different way, or like it just. I, I just I think it's important for actors to know a couple of things that good doesn't mean right. You can be great. And not right. Mm-hmm. Your job is to come into the room, be good to great, get the hell out of Dodge, let us figure out if you're right. If you're good to great, we'll keep bringing you in until you are right. It's just as simple as that. I love that. I it's love that. I don't think anyone that. has ever said something. And that then the other before. thing is um, perception versus reality. Until I'm teaching this a lot, that until we know the reality of you, we are going to rely on the perception of you. So everything that you do from the moment you find out you have an audition should be predicated with how will this be perceived. Uh-huh. So if you get the email saying don't come in unless you're good with the money or the dates yep. and you know you're not available and you confirm the appointment, well, how is how's that going to be perceived? Mm-hmm. If it says show up with a picture and resume and you don't, mm-hmm. how's that going to be perceived? You know, it's, it's all of that stuff because until we know you and can say... This isn't, he's not that guy who doesn't show up with a picture. Like, he always has a picture and resume. Right. Or this isn't like him to bail out on the dates. Like, what's mm-hmm. that about? Then you're going to be, unless we know you, you're going to be perceived as that person. Who was that guy? That was the guy who came in twice, and then he he passed because he, the dates, or he couldn't work for the money. Oh, right, right. No, we don't want to see that guy. Yeah. That's when the labels start. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. Because it's a business, right? Because it's not an audition. It's a job interview. Right. Yes. It's a job interview. And for some reason, actors 
um, bless their hearts, get really excited at the prospect of an audition, but they look at job interviews differently. Mm-hmm. And the job interviews are for their day jobs. <laughs> right. And the auditions are for your career. Like, it's it's still a job interview. This is, And it's a big part of your job uh-huh. is to interview for that job. Yep. And we all have to do it. Mm-hmm. We're all constantly interviewing. Yes. I mean, those of us who have been doing it for 25 years are still constantly interviewing. Yep. And you get better at it over time, I imagine. And I guess. I don't know. I mean, you go into those rooms and you meet with people and they say, you know, why are you a better casting director? And why, you know, why do you do this? And, and why do you think you can do this? And you go, I, you know, I, I don't know that there's any answers. Mm-hmm. You just go in and you be good to great and you get the hell out of Dodge. And if they offer you the job, you're right. Right. It's the same thing. And I, I think that actors forget that, mm-hmm. that we're not, we're also the ones in precarious positions. The hard part is that when you do bail out on a job or pass on a job because of the money, because of the dates, not because you've been offered something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that nobody can be short-sighted enough to think, oh, well, they're only auditioning for this one role. Like, mm-hmm. that's just silly. Uh, but if you intentionally come in and then intentionally pass for something that should never have happened, what happens a lot of times is actors don't realize the ramifications with that. Mm-hmm. You know, casting directors can lose their accounts over something like that mm-hmm. because then the heads spin around and say, why didn't you tell them the information? It does need to be looked at as a job interview because we're all in precarious positions at all times. And it's a small world. It's a very small world. It's a very, very small community, and we all talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where a bad reputation takes, like, 30 seconds to do and, like, five years to undo. Right. I also feel like there is a way... Like, mistakes are made, and sometimes things happen, and sometimes people have to pass and things. I also feel like there is a way to do things. There is a right way. There is a wrong way. There is, like, a better way to to handle problems or situations, like, when they arise. If you realize that there's a problem with the dates or the money, like, everyone laughs with me because they know I ask dates and money, you know, okay, with the dates and the money. I ask in the room. But it's important. First call, call back, because you know what? My head is not going to roll because I'm sick of it now. Um, but I think the way to do it is if you get there and you look at your breakdown and go, oh, man, I, ah, there's a day in here that's a problem, you keep it outside of the room. Uh-huh. Everything needs to stay outside of the room. You grab the casting person, the monitor, whatever, and go, I got a, an issue with this. Mm-hmm. Do you want to see me? Do you not want to see me? And then give the casting person a chance to couch it in the room before you come in mm-hmm. so that there's no surprises. Yep. Because, um, again, you'll be perceived differently if you walk into the room and they have this knowledge. Right. It's the same thing as if you're under the weather. Mm-hmm. Don't walk in and say, oh, I'm under the weather, the worst. I, oh, I just got this material. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just got these sides. I didn't get this appointment till last night. Well, guess what? I probably didn't get the job till two days before. Like, none of us, I haven't slept since 1979. None Uh of us are going to be sleeping. So don't be that actor. Uh Because then the perception is, oh, are they going to complain about everything? Like, 
Yes. Well, and if that happens, then the casting director knows you got the material the night before because they, they sent it to you the night right. before. And sometimes when that happens, when I'm a reader in a room, you know, the casting director will tell the team. They'll be like, this person just got the material last mm-hmm. night before you come in. So, you know... I think that it's important to rely on other people to do their job just as Well, and I did that last week for an audition that you came in, another actor. There Mm -hmm. was a screw-up, and it landed in somebody's spam file, and it was a manager-agent situation, and they didn't get the appointment until the night before. And so before when he came in, the first thing I said was just letting you know his team screwed up, and he didn't get this until last night, but he really wanted to come in. So mm-hmm. it's a chilly reading. It's, you know, it's not right. cold. It's chilly. Uh-huh. But <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's not going to be as prepared. Yeah. But I also know if your appointment was confirmed the week before, you've had this material for a while. Right. If you haven't looked at it or you haven't opened it, mm-hmm. you know, I you're not preparing for it. And and if you're too busy, mm-hmm. then you need to look at that too. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the goal is to be busy, right? The goal is to get a lot of auditions. So you need to figure out how do you manage your time. Mm-hmm. And what do you need to do to do to be your best self in the room? Right. Right. Like what do you need to take care of? And just be present. Mm-hmm. And just be present so that you can stay in it. Because mm-hmm. I literally have seen people walk in on an hour's notice and nail stuff because mm-hmm. they want it. Right. And if it's right, it's right. Right, you know? exactly. So just one more question. Um, and I don't even really know if there's an answer to this question. But um, so the, you've had the final callbacks and it's down to like, you know, a couple people or you have like three people that probably could all do the job well, but you're just going to pick one person. And I know that this is so, well, it depends on the project and what we're talking about. But what are the things that will get that one person the job um, over the other two? Or like, what are some of the conversations that happen that are um, that actually get that person um, popped up or like that's going to put them above like the other people? I'm just wondering, like, obviously, actors cannot control a lot. But but are there things like um, I know you know, if the director has worked with this person before, then that right. will, like, get them uh, further ahead. Or or is there anything that actors usually could do in the room, like, well, just being, like, a, a human being when they walk in the room? Or just I being... think that, yeah, I mean, I think that 60% of your audition is the door to the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, in the final rounds, when you get down to those three people... That's where that 60% comes in. Because mm-hmm. the director will go, we've brought them in a couple of times. They don't have a problem coming in. Um, and I love that they just want to take chances and they're fearless. And I'll say, well, you know, I've brought them in for a couple of things. And I never have a problem with them. They're always on time. They're mm-hmm. always wonderful. They're always supportive. There's never a problem. Um, they're always ready to go. They're professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, you know, if somebody's worked with somebody before, if it's, a, if it's new material, and if it's, you know, I did a show for Nymph last year where the script and the score were not written. <laughs> How interesting. And it was very interesting to work on. Um, 
but we had a great team and we had a lot of fun in the room but that's a very specific type of an actor uh-huh. because it's an actor who's literally working off of half written sides and lead sheets of music at callback where you're going can you stand behind the piano and there's not another copy of that lead sheet can you just look at it yeah and the actors who where there was pushback they were like, this is not the right arena for them. Mm-hmm. I don't care how talented they are. They're great. They're not right. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where good, not right comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then it just, I think it goes with the director's gut instinct. Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't make those choices. And I think that's the other myth with the casting is people say like, well, that casting director never hires me. We don't hire people. Mm-hmm. We offer, a good casting director offers choices. Mm-hmm. And the director makes those choices based on their vision. And they may love you, but it may not be their vision. Mm-hmm. But again, then they'll find something else for you. Right. Or if you're good for a casting director, then... Well, we're always it. working on 12 different things. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you come in for one thing and you're not right for it, and, and you know, usually you're right for five other things Mm -hmm. so we'll just keep moving you down the line Mm -hmm. but again we want those to be actors that we want to stake our names on Mm -hmm. so there's not going to be a problem so what does that mean um it means that i'm not going to get a phone call in the middle of the night from the theater saying i want to leave this person by the side of the road because they're causing so many problems Uh because they're turning the cast because they're making it seem like everything's you know if there's any sort of a a hiccup at all in production or rehearsal. They're going, you know, is this a union rule? Like, what are we doing here? But like, there's no flexibility. Mm-hmm. They don't want to collaborate. They don't, they're just not people who are ensemble by nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that theatrical actors, the ones who are really great and work really well, are ensemble by nature. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have stars in the theater. Right. We just don't. If you came to New York to be a star in the theater, good luck with that. You got to go to LA, become a star, and then come back. And it's the only way you can be a star in the theater. Yeah. So we all work together. Mm-hmm. It's a process. Right. And it happens in film. I mean, you have ensemble films, but they're usually based in some sort of a um, theatricality mm-hmm. and that kind of a feeling. And that, that energy is created by usually the director. Uh huh. Does that make sense? Totally. It totally makes sense. You want to um, give actors opportunities that you're that you're proud of that are like going to go off and do good work and work together and be in a great ensemble and 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 just be flexible. There's an actor out there who um, I won't say his name. He's working right now, but he was nominated for a Tony. Like he's fancy. I would call fancy. Um, <laughs> you have to tell me the name when I shut this off. Okay. <laughs> um, and he's always game. Uh-huh. He's literally always game for everything and. I had to do a quick replacement. Like somebody quit in the middle of a rehearsal day and we had to go into rehearsal on a Saturday with one of these two guys who was auditioning and they were both coming in for a play, ironically for me, on Monday. So I literally put the appointment out and said, okay, so the appointments are Saturday morning. One of you will stay and do that play. The other one will hopefully book the play on Monday. (laughs) And I can't be any more transparent than that. And... He's fancy, so he's got like the fancy agent and the manager and all these people. And so I just emailed him directly and said, this is what's going on. He uh-huh. called me right away and said, I'm on it. 
I'm going to let my team know. I said, all right, great. So all of a sudden the team gets involved and we need this, we need that. And he shows up and he's ready to go on Saturday and he books it. And we were talking Saturday after rehearsal because he checked in. He said it went really well. And I said, you know what? I said, what I love about you is, I said, you always make me look good. Mm -hmm. I said, it doesn't matter if I give you material two weeks ahead of time, a week ahead of time, or an hour ahead of time, mm -hmm. you walk in, you're ready to go, you're not afraid to carry your own picture and resume. Like, there's just, you're, you're the perfect actor to audition for. And he said, you know what, we work well together because you give me the tools to make you look good. Yes. He said, because if we didn't, weren't able to kind of work together, that would never happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. Yes, definitely. Because so. every casting director is also differently and is different. And um, and it's important to find the people that are going to help you be your best. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Thank and know what their quirks are. I think it's really important to know who the casting directors who like to shake hands, who are the ones who run their own rooms, who are the ones who have monitors, who are the ones who don't want you to bring pictures and resumes, who are the ones who do want you to bring pictures and resumes. I think if you are, especially if you get nervous, mm -hmm. knowing what that is mm -hmm. before the audition so that you're as armed as possible. And yes. then knowing that any shit that's going on in the room has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. And that's such a big part of why I do this podcast is for people to get to know casting directors a little bit more. And, you know, and I think talking to you this afternoon, it's I so understand that, you know, how your mind works a little bit more about mm -hmm. um, about the room and about actors like being their best and about just trusting the process and having faith in the process a right. little bit more, yeah. which is easier said than done. But no, um, but it's doable. Yes, for sure. Okay. Cindy Rush, thank you so much. So this much was fun to be so here. So wonderful. I so appreciate it. I think people are going to get so much out of this. Okay. So thank yeah. you. Bye. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!